For some, living within the structures of their perceived birth gender is a given. Life is easier, it's more predictable, perhaps it's even safer. But what is the experience of those growing up as transgender children in the gender-segregated countries of the United States and Canada. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, and you are listening to Mind Talk. I am very pleased to introduce you to today's guests, who will walk us through some of the experiences and answer some of the questions that I have posed. Dr. Ann Travers is Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology and Anthropology at Simon Fraser University in Canada. And Dr. Travers is also the author of The Trans Generation, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. Dr. Travers, welcome to Mind Talk. Hello. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about my book. Well, Dr. Travers, I'm also going to start with asking you to talk about you. you okay. You are referred to as they, not he, not she but they. Can you help us understand this? Well, I don't get offended if people refer to me as she, but I feel more comfortable with they, them, and theirs. Because, you know, ever since I was little, I never really, you know, felt any resonance with uh, the the label girl or woman. You know, I I can live okay that way, but it never really fit in a a deep personal way. But switching to... um, being a boy or a man would not make me feel any more comfortable. <clears throat> so I, like many others, um, want more options. So it, it, that takes us to, or it takes me to asking you to define for the audience what exactly transgender means. There's, for so many people, there's so many myths about what even the concept does and does not mean. For sure. The the category of transgender is an umbrella term that many of us use to refer to ourselves and other people who don't fit neatly into the gender binary or don't feel comfortable with the sex and gender that was assigned to us at birth. Within trans communities, there are different feelings about what words are appropriate as any community. You know, like not everybody agrees with the terminology, but it's a general term that refers to people who are either gender nonconforming or who do not feel comfortable with the sex category assigned to them at birth. You um, have written a book, clearly, um, that focuses on the experiences of transgender uh, children in Canada and and the United States. For some people, for many people, I know you've heard this before, the theory is this is just a new thing, this is a phase, this is not really real, this didn't exist in my day. What do you say to those those folks? Well, I say that um, by making it so impossible to tell anyone or to live as a transgender person, it's been driven underground for such a long time. There have always been transgender people. But if you think about the amount of effort that people go into teaching children what sex they are and teaching children that there are only two sexes and that being a girl is very different than being a boy, you see that there's a lot of social effort involved in maintaining this structure of only two sexes and that the the consequences for people who defy that structure have been intense. Um, they've been criminalized, 
institutionalized in psychiatric institutions, subjected to coercive behavior therapy, shock treatment, etc. Um, there's a, you know there's a high risk of violence for people who are visibly trans or non gender nonconforming. So if if it was really natural that there were only two sexes and that the two sexes were fundamentally different, you wouldn't see all this cultural energy and all this effort to make sure that people uh, conformed. It would just be that way. And, and you know, as I think about it, e- even within the male-female concept of gender, for so long there were such clear demarcations between if you're a boy this is what you like and if you're a girl this is what you like that the idea of someone being other than either or it's got to be frightening to a lot of people and really really confusing and terribly oppressive to those of us who have a wider range of interests than the sex category assigned to us would dictate it's not it's not very good for children to have parts of themselves denied or suppressed. I mean, why why should children have to, you know, only pick purple or pink or green, blue and brown, etc.? Like, why not be able to wear the clothes they like? You know, why should kids who have friendships with someone of the opposite sex, you know, experience, you know, teasing or, or you know, have it made weird that they're like that. I mean, it's just not healthy for kids. We're teaching them that there are only certain parts of themselves that they're able to express and show. So we're teaching those children who experience themselves as transgendered, we're teaching them that they, the very essence of their experience is wrong. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes, and we're also teaching people who, kids who feel relatively comfortable with the sex category assigned to them that there are parts of them that they need to suppress to be accepted. They need to suppress or they need to fix or they need to change? Well, they need to suppress because you never really um, give up parts of yourself. You, 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 You tend to hide them, but having to hide those parts of yourself that you are, you know, told aren't acceptable... It does damage to your psyche. It makes you feel that there's something wrong with you. So even someone who's relatively happy as a boy or a girl, if they love pretty things and they're a boy or they're really artistic, they experience some censure for that, and there's that sense in which they're not wholly acceptable. And children need to feel loved and accepted in order for them to develop in healthy ways. It sounds like we just as a society need to do a lot more work in accepting our children no matter how they experience themselves as they are and not trying to put them in such tiny boxes very often. I think so. I mean, that is my message, that um, imposing gender systems on children is unhealthy for all children, and it's particularly damaging and traumatic for trans children. But one of the things that I also emphasize in my book is that we need to do a lot better for children in general. Um, Children should not be separated from their parents at the border. They should not live in poverty. They shouldn't experience racism. Um, For Native American and Indigenous Canadian children, they should be funded to the same level as, you know, regular kids. They should have the same opportunities for education. What I'm saying is that if we're really concerned about making life better for trans children, we have to make sure that um, every aspect of their life is healthy. 
because there are trans children in every population. Most trans children are invisible because they know it's not safe to come out. But any environment that you're in with a group of children, there is bound to be a trans kid in there, even if you don't know it. Any environment. It's, uh, let me quote um, from a study that you quote from in uh, Growing Up Trans in a Gender Segregated Nation. Uh, in, the se- in, the, in the Gender Segregated Nations of Canada and the USA, excuse me, uh, one in every 137 kids between the age of 13 and 17 identifies as transgender. If you think about it, that's a pretty large number. Yes, and I think it would be even larger if the consequences for being gender nonconforming or trans were not so harsh. Many kids, like myself included, we draw, you know, it was, when I grew up, it was impossible to express that. And so I drove it underground and I was, you know, consumed with self hatred because I didn't fit what I was supposed to be. And many kids are still in environments like that even though you know there's more room for girls to participate in sports etc and uh you know boys do succeed in um you know following artistic careers etc but it's still you know the message the predominant message is still that boys are boys and girls are girls and if you're anything so, other than that there's something wrong with you like something deeply wrong with you and in fact that you're you know, you're you're almost despised and hated. So if you think about that, that being transgender is associated in many people's minds with being, you know, fundamentally depraved, psychologically ill. Like, it's like a, a kind of an evil. So if you have those feelings, you're going to try to talk yourself out of them for the most part, unless you're in an environment that's particularly welcoming and supportive. So if if we did not live in gender segregated contexts and if the messages weren't so relentless about what boys are supposed to be like and what girls are supposed to be like and that there are only two sexes if it was possible to see gender as a spectrum and we saw examples all around us i'm sure that one in 137 uh, would be a higher number yeah that makes sense tends to know what their experience is? It really varies, but I've had parents report that their children were as young as two when they were insisting, I is a girl, like really loud. So for the parent... being incredibly upset when they were treated as a boy. So for the parent who has the two-year-old, and, and you know, I mean, the truth is that in this society, uh, two-year-olds aren't given a whole lot of credit for knowing anything about anything except how to say no. Yeah. So for the parent of that two-year-old, what would you like that parent to do? Say, okay. That's it. And Yeah, and refer to them as a girl and use female pronouns and if they tell you a different day that 
uh, no, I think I really am a boy after all, then you switch back. Let your children lead. I believe that everybody should have the right to determine their own gender, and that means allowing room for exploration. So for the parent who says, but that's going to make my, my child's life so much more difficult, uh, and, and I'm going to ask you in a second to talk to us about uh, an African-American, not African-American, I think he was uh, something else, uh, child, Finn, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, Finn, he's, he's, he's uh, European-American. European-American. All right, there, mm-hmm. then, and Finn killed himself at, at the age of 14. But, but before did. I ask you to, to tell me more about Finn, Uh, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, you make it clear that much of your book is really written from the perspective of the children themselves who are living this experience, which I think is Mm -hmm. really important uh, for folks to understand and and take hold of as they're going through your book. The other thing um, that I would like to underscore is that for the parents who are saying to themselves either my child is too young to know or maybe my child really thinks it but I don't want it to be true that does more harm to the child and to the parent and to the family as a whole than to say okay let's see where this takes us yeah it does it does do harm to them because you're you're shutting them down but at the same time parents do like parents of children who are vulnerable make strategic decisions about keeping that child safe all the time. But if the child feels that you are genuinely in their corner and you are negotiating safety with them, then it doesn't have to be damaging. There are some contexts where um, letting your kid go out of the house uh, as the, you know, presenting as the, the gender that they feel that, that, that they are. Um, can actually place them in harm's way, and the kid might agree with you. So you, like the parent and the child, may say, I know you're a girl. I'm very worried about your safety in going out of the house or in this context. I can't keep you safe. So, you know, you can negotiate, okay, at home, you wear what you wear, and you're a girl, and, you know, we're going to work towards making the other environment safe for you to show up as who you are, but I don't want you to be harmed. And for sure, some parents would think that this would be inevitable because it's true. Having a transgender child means that they are more vulnerable. But parents of vulnerable children, um, you know, whether they're vulnerable on the basis of race or poverty or disability, um, is a difficult thing, and, and parents have to navigate this all the time. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's, a, it's an absolutely terrifying and horrific thing to know that you cannot keep your children safe. And many parents experience this every day. So it's understandable that a parent may, you know, be very worried that their child will be um, harmed or damaged if they are openly trans, you know, if they, if they assert their affirmed identity in public. You have to work with the kid to decide the level of risk that, you know, your kid is comfortable with. Because some environments are incredibly dangerous. If, you know, if you're crossing a border, for example, um, and your child presents as, you know, the, the gender category they really are, you may get hassled by the, um, mm. you know, the customs, the border officials. And you may, you may 
understand that being hassled might actually be more harmful for your child. You need to know your child, and you need to work with them. If they feel that you are solidly in their corner, sometimes the two of you have to negotiate issues around safety. But it shouldn't be that you are preventing the child from expressing themselves because of your own fears. And a child can tell. Children are a lot smarter than, as adults, we often give them credit for. They know who is in their corner. That is one of the things that they are so attuned to because it's necessary for their survival. And clearly, you're, you have reminded us that they can know as potentially as early as two. So you don't want to disrespect the child's view of themselves just because it's not something that you were prepared for. It's not something to agree or disagree with. It either is or it isn't. Your child is who they say they are or they're not. And it is just so important to be respectful of your it child's is. view. Yeah, and children are exploring, um, you know, themselves and the world. And you, sh you should definitely cheer them on in, you know, experiencing who they are. And, you know, that involves a lot of exploration. Sometimes children are absolutely adamant. They know what their, their gender is, like, from a very early age. And other kids aren't sure. And rather than telling them, it's great to, you know, give them a lot of encouragement to explore, to understand gender as a spectrum, to be exposed to many different kinds of genders that people, um, you know, represent, to so that they feel there are a whole range of options. Then they can find where they really you are listening to Mind Talk. I'm Pamela Brewer having a conversation with Dr. Ann Travers, who is author of Growing Up Trans in Gender-Segregated Nations of Canada and the USA from the Perspective of Kids. We'll be right back. To the, the folks who, to the parents or the caregivers who say, if this child is anything other than my version of what a cookie-cutter child should look like and behave like, I have done something wrong. This is my fault. This is my shame. What do you say to those folks? Well, I do understand because I'm a parent myself, and there's this perpetual fear of failing our children because we want what's best for them. Um, so if, if your child is struggling in any way, there's always that feeling, oh, if I had done this, maybe it would be better, or I should have seen this coming. So that the self-criticism that we engage in can be pretty paralyzing, um, but it's really not anything to, it's, it's, it's not warranted because if a child is trans, there's nothing wrong with that. It's society that has been telling us that there's something wrong with children who are being trans. So in a way, you know, society provides a disabling environment for our child. Our child is not disabled, um, you know, fundamentally if, if they are trans. Um, you know, gender is a spectrum. Children can fit on any 
any part of that spectrum. And when we fail our child, we don't get behind them and support them. So rather than flagellating ourselves for somehow causing our child to identify in a way that will cause difficulty for them, we should get behind them and start trying to change the environments that make life difficult for them. I I, want to go back to the title of your book. Um, You talk about uh, gender-segregated nations in Canada and the USA. Are there fundamental differences between the two? Can I just uh, clarify that my book is the transgeration? The the gender-segregated book is a a publication of the Williams Institute. My my book is the transgeneration, how trans kids and their parents are creating a gender revolution. There are differences. Thank you for that. Uh, Absolutely. That's okay. <laughs> there are differences between Canada and the U.S. Say in that um, public health care is fairly well established in Canada. It doesn't mean it's perfect, and it doesn't mean that affirming health care for trans people is distributed evenly throughout the country. But it, you know, that is a significant difference. And you know, there are other differences as well. But um, there are many commonalities and gender segregation is certainly one of them. What about racial uh, differences? You, you speak a lot about um, the fact that you have your own experience as being someone who is white, who has class privilege mm-hmm. and has professional status, and you distinguish that from some of the children that you talk to and some yes. of the folks who... Ex- so tell us about that. Why, why the distinguish? Well, it really shapes our lives. I mean, we have that, you know, denies a history of colonialism and genocide. It, it really has an impact um, on my ability to, you know, to live my life. I live, you know, mostly in a a very sort of trans and queer-friendly bubble. I'm a professor at a university. I live in a, you know, in a, a West Coast city, and my life is pretty great, to be honest. But trans people who are racialized or in poverty or in you know more conservative environments have very different life experiences and i think it's incredibly important when we talk about the experiences trans kids have to realize that some trans kids have way more privilege than others they have white middle class parents who are able to negotiate more effectively with schools who are not you know they're not burdened with poverty, they're not experiencing the ongoing trauma of racism, etc. And it really makes a difference in terms of, you know, which trans kids can be visible and how certain trans kids have a better time of it than others, even though all trans kids are incredibly vulnerable. The idea that you would have to have essentially the, the talk um, that certainly many African-American um, families know that they need to have with their children of color. It, it's an interesting additional perspective on the urgency and the um, just the importance of the quote-unquote talk uh, and mm-hmm. the expansiveness that needs to be included in quote-unquote, the talk, uh, particularly with children of color who are trans. Yeah, and I think that, you know, most parents of racialized children don't just have the talk. They talk all the time because um, we are trying to enable the child to navigate the world as 
safely as possible. And for white parents of children of color, we're not doing those kids any favor by pretending that whiteness doesn't privilege us and that racism isn't out there. We have to be, you know, very frank and very honest about how being racialized in a white supremacist country negatively impacts them. And, you know, they, they have to feel that we're angry about it and also that we're helping them navigate it. And for trans, for trans children of color, um, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's more challenging than for white trans children. One of the kids in my book who is um, black Canadian said, I'm black, I don't want to be trans too, but she is. But she's been struggling terribly with being trans because she just feels life is going to be too hard. Well, and, and as you clearly uh, acknowledge, it can be hard enough just to be black or, yes. or of, of color. So when you got yes. that added piece to it, it's yeah. really quite something. And for parents of children of color who are navigating school systems um, and, you know, often having to work with school staff to, um, you know, intervene in terms of, you know, racist bullying or just, you know, curriculum that, you know, centers the white experience. And then you also have to, um, you know, address gender. It's, it's very, very challenging. Some of the, the white parents of white trans kids go into school settings and give workshops on gender inclusive Inclusivity, inclusivity to the staff free of charge just because it's so important to create that, that welcoming climate for their child. Um, so it's, it's kind of like how many things can you take on, but they all Indeed. impact the kid and other kids. Because one of the things that parents of trans kids do and parents of racialized children do when they interact with schools to improve the conditions for their kid is they are improving the conditions for other kids yeah and you know i think we need to be really frank this is a social justice struggle it's you know anti-racism is a social justice struggle and people who benefit from white supremacist systems are going to resist you know at least some people are and it but you know we still have to to fight against racism we still have to um even if people are going to resist the idea of a gender spectrum and you resist the idea of accepting trans people, we need to recognize it as a really important social justice struggle and we can't shy away from it. You know, my values are very grounded in social justice for everyone and not everyone is going to agree with me, but I, I'm committed to it. It also sounds like uh, it would be very useful for parents when they are uh, planning on taking their child to any medical professional for any reason, checkup or otherwise, that they need to check with that professional prior to setting that appointment just to make sure that professional has an open mind. If their child is trans, you mean, if they know yeah. their child is trans, right. you have to do a lot of... Uh, work behind the scenes to create safety for your child. If you're going to take your kid to the dentist, for example, and uh, their birth name is different from the name they are now using, and if the, you know, they are a girl, but their chart says a boy, you need to phone the office in advance and say, hey, my kid is trans. Do not 
refer to them as a boy, use this name. And so, like, many parents do this behind-the-scenes work, and their kids don't even know about it. And that's, right. you know, that's, that's what, ch- what parents of vulnerable children try to do. They try to do advanced work so that their children don't encounter harmful reactions from people. Being the parent of, you know, any vulnerable child is an incredible amount of work, and being the parent of a trans child is no exception. It takes a lot of behind-the-scenes work to get the people that your kid interacts with to behave in a way that is not harmful. Dr. Ann Travers, author of The Trans Generation, How Trans Kids and Their Parents Are Creating a Gender Revolution. Thank you so much for joining us today. Very quickly, is there a website or an email address or a way for listeners to be in touch if they would like more information? You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Baseball. That communicates my other deep passion in life, which is baseball. (laughs) Um, Or you can go to New York University Press, Um, they published the book. Terrific. Thank you again very much, Dr. Ann Travis, for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And folks, thank you for joining me on this edition of Mind Talk, which is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental, medical health, or other professional. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand by going to MYND. T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today and any questions or comments you would like to offer. So email me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable. You too. (laughs) 